Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. I'm excited to have my friend Elisha Hale on the show today. Uh, Elisha is a friend of mine. He actually took over uh, part of my youth pastor position. Uh, he's from Louisville, Kentucky, and he moved up to Greenwood a few years ago, and uh, we became friends. And you know, he's a really great, knowledgeable person in things of theology. And uh, so we originally were going to be talking about the Trinity and uh, some Arianism and stuff around that, some really fun stuff. But we actually took a change on our topic while we were uh, talking and just kind of catching up. And uh, we shifted to talking more about pastors. Elisha just became licensed and really just what that means and how that can have some positive and negative effects uh, for the church. So we talk about mega church, even small church, and really good thoughts about what it means to be spiritual family. So uh, we took a change in our topic and improvised, uh, but I think it's a really, really good conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it, and I'll be excited to have Elisha on for the topic of the Trinity and stuff at a later date. Uh, But for now, here is this conversation about church, pastors, and uh, spiritual family, my friend Elisha Hale. So... You've been doing well, though? Everything's good? How's the youth? Oh, it's doing good, man. It's doing really well. Um, really funny story. I was going into my, my uh, washroom slash closet to grab a notebook so I could just jot down a few quick points that I was wanting to look at uh, with you when we talk. And I pull out this notepad. It's this little notepad. I open it up, and it's your freaking notepad. Really? <laughs> like, the first... Yeah, it was. This is the weirdest thing I've experienced lately. It just said San Marcos stats, and there's like population um, stuff about being an entrepreneur, stuff about like I don't know. It's just crazy. There's like a few different things in here, and as I'm reading through more, I'm like, wait a minute, this can't be Luke. And then it's like Tyler's writing. I finally realized it was one of the notepads that was in our office, and it just made it home by accident. So. Your office is now my old office, and so I left a notebook in there with a bunch yeah. of notes? Oh, man, it's just a few notes. I mean, there's just a few little pages. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah, I can't tell where Tyler starts and you end. Um, you, it looks like you're writing smaller. Oh, it's weird. It's just weird. I mean, it might not be any of your notes, but I think it is. Dude, you're going to have to send me a picture because... That's super cool, man. So, like, we're about to do this podcast, and you just find this notebook <laughs> that I have yeah. with all these notes at your yeah, house? Get, yeah, I'll guarantee you this is probably, unless if there's something you personally gave me, this is, like, the only thing of Luke Rickers in my home. <laughs> I didn't know it was here. Dude, that is so cool. I know, man. I was tripping when I picked it up. I was like, wait a minute. What the heck? How on the earth did this get here? <laughs> See, it's just God telling us that we're supposed to do this podcast today. So, you, you know, man, I, I, I might, I might roll with that. I might believe that. That's good. Well, for everybody that's listening in on this, Elisha's my good friend. Uh, we met back in Greenwood, Indiana. So, Elisha's uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, I guess just maybe just a brief backstory of how you found yourself at the Greenwood Vineyard, uh, and met me and everyone there, and now you're high school youth leader and all that stuff. So just a little bit, maybe, I think it'd be cool to just have a little backstory of how you found yourself, you know, at the Vineyard. Yeah. Uh, so I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. I was there for 25 years, and 
Um, God did some amazing things back in 2014 that were beyond my expectations, beyond even what I was asking for. And he just really opened up uh, an obvious uh, turning of the page in my life to get married. And and I've never been one of those people who's like, oh, man, this is totally God telling me to marry this person. Like, I really believe in, you know, the person that's, quote, the one unquote is the person that you, you know, commit to and determine to make the one for the rest of your life. Right. Uh, Within that, uh, God did really open up some stuff and uh, really, really just put an awesome relationship between me and uh, my my wife now. Uh, we got married in 2014, and she had a lease in Greenwood, Indiana. I was living in Louisville, and so I moved up with her. We were going to finish out her six-month lease up in Greenwood and then move back to Louisville. And when we got there, we started looking for a few different churches to hang out at and, you know, just uh, go and hang out. And there was a vineyard church. And I had been uh, the only experience I'd ever had with a vineyard church was Robbie Dawkins, and he had been someone that's pretty influential in my life. And so she, she was like, "Well, there's a vineyard church. Have you ever heard of those?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I know Robbie comes from a vineyard church." So we went there, and really, the rest is history. You know, just uh, <laughs> so many good friends, so many good, um, so many good acquaintances and connections, and opportunities to, uh, you know, be able to serve the community and love people, and to put whatever God had put into us. You know, just kind how to put it out and share it with people and to get uh, helped out and get plugged into a good community that cared about us. And we ended up deciding to stay in Greenwood and been here for two years now. And kind of the same thing happened at the end of, uh, at the end of 2015. Uh, you were a part of that, Luke. I got me and Tyler Burton got involved with the youth program and it's going to be like a year now. It's actually been wow. a year now, the intern, but, uh, uh, just a couple, like a month ago, or maybe even less than a month ago, um, I, I took on the definitive role of high school youth pastor, and Tyler took on the definitive role of middle school youth pastor. Um, it's just cool, man. Well, congrats, uh, that, man! That, you got, you finally got the pastor title, which means you're perfect. So, yeah, congratulations! Right. Life's oh. great now, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, so we had a few other people. Just a quick little short story. There's, there was uh, Tyler, myself, and a couple other guys that got uh, licensed, you know, for a year, whatever kind of deal that is. And uh, one of the guys, you know, he's not on staff, nothing. He's just an incredible volunteer. And uh, it's Brian Peebler. Um, and we were joking about how <laughs> he was like, he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is definitely going to go to my head. I, I think I'm going to go fire some people right now." <laughs> And we were joking around about like him just showing up in a suit, firing the you know somebody, and just like firing a volunteer. He has no business doing anything. <laughs> that needs to be your funny. next video. It's oh. funny, you know. Some people get the pastor hat, and immediately it's like that guy at work that gets the management position that has no business being a manager. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, yeah. you just gave that guy a license to just be like a douchebag to everybody. You know, I feel like some people when they get the title of pastor, that's what happens. You know, it's so unfortunate. You know? Yeah, it's man. I think that's what Paul was talking about. He said, "Don't appoint." I'm King James, and everybody said, "Don't appoint a novice, or he'll be swallowed up in the." swallowed up by the enemy or devoured by the enemy yeah. or something you know it's it's when people are i think it happens when people put their worth in their in like some sort of odd social standing or mm. like hierarchy I, I can't imagine a world where being a pastor is cool but i guess <laughs> that's in some people's worldview is that it's cool but well and uh, i think what we were talking about too is you know church being built on the back of business that's mm -hmm. 
it's the idea of just like promotion up the ladder and now I'm over people. It's like a permission and a license to like exercise, uh, you know, authority over a herd, you know? And yeah. I think that does get to people's heads. It's a power trip, you know? It does, man. It does. It's especially, you know, for people... I think probably that have been on the lower end of um, the social, you know, the social ladder a lot in their life, and then they get given a, a position of you know high social standing, and people respect them, whereas they're not used to it. It's like they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. no. But it, it's it's unfortunate. But yeah, anyway, everybody who got licensed, I think they all were really really competent, really really uh, really sound mind and solid. And Brian, oh my gosh, man. Brian has just done so many, he's just grown so much, such a pastor's heart, such a, I mean, oh my gosh, I could just share stories with you, like of the, his just adventures at the airport and, you know, adventures with some of his small group and it's, it's just great stuff. So I'm glad to see him dude, and getting that, and getting that, uh, to just think of the word pastor. I think you fit that perfectly. And part of what we're doing with the spiritual nomad podcast is just figuring out, you know, what we do uh, as a collective people that may have been disenfranchised from church. And I think, exact. I mean, we weren't really planning to talk about this as much, but, you know, I think that something with that is the idea that you do give people this, uh, this place of pastor and they do use it and wield it in a wrong way. And there's a lot of backlash from that. And I know that you have, uh, an ideology and a philosophy about maybe how church could be done in better ways to where there's not as much fallout and there's not as much hurt and pain that comes from, you know, kind of the, the organizational, um, you know, capitalistic, you know, pyramid model of church, you know? And, uh, so I don't know. I, once again, we, we didn't super have this scheduled to talk about, but as we're just kind of flowing in this conversation, I think it'd be cool to just kind of, See, like, so what? What is that difference? Like, making people uh, pastors, like, who should be that? And you know, how do we handle this like major exodus that's happening from you know people just being under, frankly, bad leadership? People who got a badge that shouldn't get a badge. You know what I'm saying? Oh uh, yeah, I think, man. Oh my gosh, I, I feel like I need ten hours just to be able to cover all the bases. I'll, I'll try to come at it kind of from a general sense, I think that our chief issue um, that's holding back really the church uh, growing the way the church is meant to grow is that we've gotten obsessed with making a brand or a name instead of meeting needs. Mm. I'm not bringing an indictment on anybody or criticizing. I'm just saying that uh, I've suffered from this myself since I took on the role of leading the youth group. As I had a, you know, like, oh man, I need to make sure that the events are fun. I need to make sure that we're getting people in here. I need to make sure that the teaching is relevant. I, I need to make sure that, uh, you know, that all the leaders are being equipped to be able to, you know, get to where they need to go to and talk to these kids. And I need to make sure the music's happening. And then, all, you know, I eventually just came to this point where I was kind of frustrated and feeling a little worn out. And I just felt the Lord be like, just kind of put that that sense in my heart of what about the kids are you actually meeting their needs? he said something to me he said they can get entertainment and they can get laughs anywhere they go but what they cannot get is sincerity and they can't get their personal needs met mm. and i feel that is the role of the church so i've really flipped the script on how i was approaching things uh, i haven't like you know flushed the whole um structure down the drain but I, i'm trying to give the lord a lot more space and just be more sincere 
Uh, I think we put so much effort in trying to be winsome that we forget that it's the Lord that draws people to himself. It's the spirit that does the drawing. It's the spirit that does the converting. And, you know, what they really, what people really are looking for, um, what they're really looking for is what only God can provide, and that's their needs being met. You look at Jesus. Um, he didn't just show up and, like, tell people to follow him for the sake of following him. He didn't do it for, he didn't tell people, you know, you follow me or, you know, you'll burn forever. We'll have that conversation another time, Luke. But uh, <laughs> he, what he did do was he just went places and met the needs. He met them naturally and supernaturally, and he equipped his followers to do the same thing, spiritually um, and physically, to meet needs. And, oh, man, when, when our goal is order and not needs being met, then uh, I feel like we get caught up in, in this, you know, almost a bureaucratic system. And... Order exists so that needs get met. Mm. But when needs get put on the back burner for the sake of order, we've just created religion. Yeah. You know, I recently uh, read a quote of Zig Ziglar. He's a you know big sales guy. And it, I'm going to butcher it. But it was something along the lines of, if you're absolutely focused on getting people what they need, you never have to worry about not getting what you need. You know what I mean? That's really good. And and that's kind of the idea. And I mean, this is a sales guy, you know? And oh, so yeah. working to get people exactly what they need, that brings a fulfillment to them that is in return then to you. And so yep. you'll always be needed. And I think that's the problem. The church comes and says, we think that people need a concert or a motivational speech or different things. And I think the big thing that I've been focus on lately and it dovetails what you've been talking about is that we the world's wanting us to listen to them and we're just speaking for them you know i mean you're married you know how it is with your wife you know she just wants you to listen to her and to hear her needs and respond instead of react you know and and the thing is what we tend to do as church is just oh this is what you need and we speak for people and we speak over people instead of listening to them into what their needs are, you know. I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be quoting that for the rest of my life. Uh, just, I mean, because I think everything comes back down to relationship and the idea that you know, obviously, you're not gonna have a good marriage if you're just telling your wife what she needs to do, uh, or if a woman's telling her husband what he needs to do. Like listening to the other person, what are their needs, and then if it be possible, and if it's in, you know, if it's in the right direction, then to to do your best to take care of those needs, you know. That's amazing, and that's that's the relationship between God and the world, and I think that's the relationship between uh, the church and the world. You know, we have, whether people want to admit it or not, we have the duty of carrying on Christ's work, and um, we've really turned it into a lot of other things, um, yeah. some really and some good, but, but, you know, it's just the pursuit of the God thing. And the other, beyond, you know, this idea that people prioritize the brand over the purpose mm. um, is the role definition. Um, I'm not, I'm not against, um, the way corporate churches run. Um, I don't believe it's satanic. I'll put it that way. I don't believe it's demonic. I don't believe it's, you know, all this, uh, evil things. I believe it's a decent human idea, but I believe that there's a divine idea that the Lord has really illustrated and written out in the scriptures that we can, we can honestly, I think we can pull it off and do it well. Um, the problem is role definition. What we have going on is we've taken the bishop job of the fivefold ministry <laughs> it's just, it's insanity. The bishop, I mean, 
the bishop's sole duty, uh, I believe, he operates as the neck. And the neck in your body only has, it only does one thing. It holds the head and mm. connects the body. It holds the head. And it's not off, you know, I'm, I can wiggle my fingers. I can, I can bounce my leg up and down and all this stuff while I'm talking to someone. But my neck, if my neck is not just doing one thing, holding the head, then I am going to look like a complete, you know, spazzle and be having some real serious problems. And it's going to be really strange. Right. Um, so neck has to hold the head. We know who the head of the body is. That's Christ. And the bishop would have the duty of holding up the head um, so that the vision of Christ is prioritized and that the mission of Christ is prioritized. He exists, the bishop exists, to make sure that uh, the vision and the mission of Christ is the is the heart flow of the rest of the body. And the rest of the body, uh, if you look at you know the fivefold... And I'm pulling the thing about the bishops out of uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, uh, Book of Revelation. You know, there's definitely a bishopic role. Mm -hmm. Um, However, however, we've allowed the idea that because a man has a vision, that he is the head of the church. No, he has Mm -hmm. a vision. Christ is the head of the church. And and if we put a man in that position, what happens when another man comes around with a vision? Uh, well, either he has to humble that vision to the first vision, um, or he will go off and do his own thing. And what you end up with is you end up with a left arm on one side of town, a right arm on the other side of town, and everybody's like, well, d- that vision wasn't for this church. No, if it's a vision and it's a godly vision, then it's for Christ's church. Mm. And the as people want to be uh, what... what um, I believe it was Paul warned against, or it was Peter, maybe in Second Peter, who said, "Don't be lords over God's heritage. Don't take ownership mm. of something that's yours." Um, and the job of a pastor is not chief speaker. The job of a pastor is not chief teacher. The job of a pastor is to shepherd people. It is to what does a shepherd do? He makes sure that the sheep are fed. He makes sure that the sheep are safe. He makes sure that the sheep are not lost. And we think we can accomplish that with an hour of teaching a week? No way. A shepherd needs to be there with the people on a regular basis. I would say daily. And so I feel that pastors um, should never be the number one guy that's you know expected to take care of everything in the church. That's that's a we're, we're taking the bishop who is you know the he is the last wall of defense. He's kind of mm-hmm. the guy who like, we can trust him. He's not in this for himself. He's not self serving he's here to empower the body oh my gosh ephesians 4 i mean the whole body getting put to use growing up together fitly joined together everything being everything functioning you look at first corinthians 12 14 it talks all about each person in the church everybody being brought to maturity (laughs) is the goal right and then everyone flowing together. It says one has a song, one has a lesson, one has a revelation, one has a teaching. You know, where is that? What what is that? That's that's the body getting put to use. But um, I feel that we expect we act like this role of senior pastor is senior teacher, but it's not. Um, what we really have ended up with, if we're being honest, in the in the Western Church, by and large, I'm not saying this is everything. Some are doing way better. Some are doing far worse. Um, it, it, it is what we see is we've made, we've gotten this position of chief speaker. It's not even teacher. It's not necessarily evangelist, but it's usually teachers and evangelists that get made pastor. But that's not the pastor. 
The pastor is the guy who's going to the hospital, going to people's houses, talking to them, finding out what's going on in their life. Is their water bill going to get shut off? Are are is their are their kids sick? Are they dealing with um are they dealing with a you know an argument with somebody in the church? To, in order to really shepherd those sheep and to make sure they're not hungry, thirsty, and dying, you have to be up with them on a daily basis. Which is you, I would never expect what we call a senior pastor today to be able to fulfill that in his church. Um, so and even if he Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Finish your thought. Yeah, and even if we had five pastors under him, again, are they going in, in every day checking with all the congregants? And it, they're not. And it's okay. it's okay. It's not the end of the world. But we need to be honest about... Elisha, I think I lost you. Hello? Are you there? I, I think I lost you. Uh, just to finish off, I think we need better role definition. Um, and I think... I think we need to be honest about what the whole point of us getting together for church is. And um, I think if we're able to to keep Christ as the head, we'll see a lot less of the body parts falling off. So for that to really happen, you can't have a church of 1,000, 2,000 people. And really, you, you can't really have a church then of a few hundred people. Because if you're really ha- – so I'm almost thinking about more so of this idea of – deep friend connections you know what i'm saying like friendship connections and Mm -hmm. because it's almost like you know people that we say are pastors you're right they're the visionary leaders that's the you know the main communicator for a larger pool and group of people and the definition of pastor isn't that so i don't know i think maybe an apostle would be apostle teacher something like that um but i think what you're saying is, and what I see a trend is, is more so of people saying, I'm cared for and I care for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, yeah. and that sort of reciprocal friendship that happens is the nurturing of a the technical definition of a church. And so I think what we could do is to get better. And because let's be honest, the fallout with the mega church and the decline of the mega church cuz I don't care who you are the church is in decline you, you have to be able to look at metrics and numbers and I get most entrepreneurial visionary mega church leaders don't like to look honestly at the numbers I understand that but the fact is you know bigger churches are getting bigger because smaller churches are having to shut down because they can't keep up keep up so people say oh the mega church movement is growing no it's just big business put small business out so everybody has to shop at walmart now does that make sense yeah so that makes total sense I think what you're saying is is really just like what the resurgence is with these pop-up shops and startups is like Instead of having Walmart, we want to have Betty's grocery store back again, where Betty is working with the, her 10 employees, and they're really loving this part of town and doing the best thing they can to get the most organic, the most you know um, fresh food available for them, right? So what ultimately the, the analogy I see is, is, you know, I mean, mass grown, you know, hormone food, you know, for the masses or more of a boutique style of church where that person's on the grassroots. And I think really what it boils down to is too a lot is I think different personality types, you know? And so I guess piggybacking on what you're saying, I think, uh, 
developing friendships and networks because the fallout, once again, I'll circle back to that. The fallout is that people are disenfranchised because they aren't part of this corporate entity structure. And they, they don't have any friendship. They don't have any relationships. And we say, oh, well, just come join our small groups. But our small groups are just, you know, really, you know, crappy versions of friendship. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like forced friendship. You don't even really like maybe everybody that's there. And the only reason you're supposed to like them is because they believe in this ancient book that you do too. Maybe. Yeah. And so. Did you say me? What's that? Did you say Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, because, I mean, really, I mean, people aren't always fully bought in. And I think that leads me to my next thing with it is there's no place for curiosity and there's no place for conversation if you just come here one dude and you're one of 1,500 every week. And so what happens whenever, you know, you, okay, you take the pastor's word and you say, all right, pastor, I'm going to start reading this Bible here and get plugged into a small group, maybe, you know, maybe not, you're not even there yet. And you start reading and you start having these questions. Where do you go? And I was listening to a podcast the other day and it's like, it's really hard to have questions in a religion of answers, you know, and in a big church, there's no place to, to have that sort of conversation, to have those things, even in a small group, because you're supposed to be talking about the sermon you know yeah yeah i the best times i've had you know i'm a, i'm a part of a you know to me and my wife joke around about this is that i'm a part of a lot of small groups uh but none of them have anything to do with like what we're supposed to be doing in a small group and yet nevertheless you know uh, we've grown together we've had breakthrough together we've had you know amazing times together and none of them were ever like forced it was very organic right i guess i guess you know if i was to just if i was to just put it all on the line, I would say, show me where, show me, show me where the biblical model is for the way we do church in the West. Yeah. Show it to me. And if somebody says, well, in Israel, they had Kings, I'd be like, okay, we're really messed up. (laughs) (laughs) It's not what this is. You know, this is a, Jesus here to, you know, start another version of, you know, an old thing. He came here to get his, get his family back, you know? Um, it is not, we're not based after Israel. We're not a new Israel. We're not a replacement for Israel. We are in the Son of God. We're in the, we're in the, you know, one thing, one way I've been putting it lately is this, is the Old and New Testament come from the same heart, and there's no difference between them. It's just that the first one was terrestrial, and it could only be understood in a terrestrial way. But the mm. second, celestial, and it's understood in a celestial way, and that, the reason, and it's it's goes beyond the flesh. It goes beyond ruling the flesh and subjecting the flesh and punishing the flesh to changing the spirit. And the reason why the first is vanished, vanishing away is because the earth is vanishing away. And the celestial will never vanish. Man, the church is the most relevant, not when we look exactly like the world, but when we give what the world cannot give. The world... It, it gives – and I have a lot of friends. I don't just surround myself with Christians, but I have a lot of friends in psychology. I have people that are psychiatrists, people that are – you know, all these different uh, things where they deal with people's internal well-being, uh, people that have been to psychiatrists for years and years and years. And they've seen – not they haven't seen the kind of breakthrough that the Bible says is there. I'm not saying that Christians, every, every time you accept Jesus, you get insta-fixed and everything's perfect, but – 
there's something about this Jesus in the Bible who does provide a deeper, more healing, um, you know, solution than what this world even claims to offer. And we have obscured that. The reason why you don't see that in the modern church is because we're busy trying to be like the world and we're mm. trying to give it psychology. We're trying to give them seven steps to a healthier them. The reason why the world isn't seeing Christ in the church is because the church is trying to be the world instead of just being like Christ. Right. And so I think a big thing is with it too is that people can't connect because church seems to be everything but experiencing God. I read a statistic that the leading cause that people go to church is to experience God and the leading cause that people leave church is because they don't experience God. Oh my Lord. And so I think it's because we're, we're so, and I'll tell you what, just to be super blunt, I think we're too busy trying to be politically correct and, and frankly protect ourselves that we've created a smoke screen to where nothing can be genuine Pastors yep. can't be authentic. You can't talk about a certain doctrine. And people yeah. just completely feel alienated. And yeah. in 2017, nobody's going to subject themselves to that sort of censorship. You can say whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want in this day and age. And for some reason in the church where we, we've muzzled conversation, you know, and it, it's just amazing to me and how much we can oppose each other in that. So something with this podcast too, is just really giving hope to people who have lost all hope in the church, especially evangelical churches um, and really giving hope to people of how there can be, you know, still this experience and expression of God uh, in new and fresh ways. Um, so I think what you're talking about is just really developing these network of friends and really um, getting together with people. Because I, I don't think that getting together is off the table, you know, like Hebrew says, you know, that we Not should value gathering together. Well, there's a scripture that says, don't, don't, don't give up on meeting together. Don't give up yeah. on assembling together you know some people give up and they walk away from it and i'm i hope it wouldn't come across that i'm advocating a exodus out of the building i'm just saying i believe we need to give the building back to god and i believe we need to give the people back to god instead of trying to figure out how to win people um you know, with the most winsome approach possible. Paul said in the book of First Corinthians, like it's within the first couple chapters, he said, one man sows, another man waters, but it's God that gives the increase. Yeah. And the Lord spoke to me probably a year and a half ago, and he said, the reason why churches are not growing is because they're not focused on sowing and watering. They're focused on the increase. So they're what does that look like? What does that look like to sow an increase? And what does it look like for, you know, people to have a little bit more of a healthy, rounded experience? In the building? Just in general, just life, you know, um, especially, you know, I, I've been outside of a staff position for a year now, you know, and it's just been an interesting, uh, you know, time, but I'm still trying to put my thumb on like, what does all of this really look like maybe outside of the 501c3 organization, you know what I'm saying? And it seems yeah. like that's what you're advocating was, for. So what does it look like to live in the fullness and wholeness of like spiritual family? Cause I think that's what you're a big advocate about, right? I mean, yeah. um, so here's, here's a quick practical way we could do this. Um, here's a, there is a difference. I'm just going to put this out there really quick is there is a fullness you know, of the stature of Christ. Ephesians 4 says that the entire goal of being a church leader 
is that the saints are equipped and that they are nourished for the work of taking care of the world around them so that everyone, Paul literally says this, it blows my mind, this is in the Bible. It says, so that everyone can grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. Hmm. So I believe that if we have, here's here's a way any church right now could obliterate the works of the enemy and transform their community. You take two guys that are have grown up into a good, solid identity. They don't care about um, position or title. They just care about um, pastoring and evangelism. And then you hire them to be in that church every day of the week. And then you notify your church, hey, from the stage each weekend, who here has ever wanted to be a shepherd or a pastor or in ministry or who has ever wanted to just had a gift for listening to people, raise your hand. And then whoever raises their hand, you say, listen, every single day of this week and you get them set up, plugged in every single day of this week, we're doing pastoral training. We're doing training to where you can come in and learn each night how to better take care of your friends, how to become a better, um, you know, a better shepherd of your friends, how to learn, you know, just the ins and outs of what that would mean. And then you have that guy there every week, that pastoral guy, he's there every day of the week, every week training and growing up new leaders in pastoring. And then you say, hey, who here has ever had a passion, wanted to share their faith more? It doesn't matter if you can't share your faith, but if you've had a desire to share your faith and don't know how, if you just want to be an evangelist, if you want to be someone who reaches strangers for Jesus, raise your hand. Luke, I guarantee you half of most of these churches, you'd see people's hands raise up. If the, the Lord gives that pull, he gives that draw, we're too afraid of what sounds smart, what sounds silly. God will give that draw, and if we put the mm -hmm. nets there, he'll put the fish, just like he said to Peter, you know, throw your nets over. There weren't any fish there, but all of a sudden, because Jesus is the one who said to do it, boom, the nets are full. And then you have an evangelist there training every night of the week, and, and he teaches people how to go out, how to meet new people, how to have how to have normal, sane conversations with people where the Spirit of the Lord is invited and welcomed, and God is able to do uh, what God loves to do. And I... I just don't – oh, my gosh, I get so excited talking about it – is that if you just have two guys, just two guys, just a pastor and evangelist, training more guys and more women to be pastors and evangelists, boom, you're sowing and you're watering. Sowing means to go out and to put new seed into the ground. Watering means to nourish the seed that's there. Uh, and so then – then the people who are small group leaders, life group leaders, however those little things work, you know, you have them go through pastoral training and you have you equip your small group leaders to be pastors. It wouldn't take anything. Have the guys work 20 hours a week and they can work what? You know, you've got um, five days, uh, Monday through Friday. Give them four hours every night. Give them four hours every night to just be teaching on how to be a pastor, um, how to so be a what pastor. I guess for me, and this is where I might differ from you a little bit, is I think that being a pastor just looks like empathy and friendship. I mean, in in many ways. Exactly. And so well, that's I, what I believe. So I almost wonder because, and I agree with you on the you know evangelism thing. I think we've we've really screwed up uh, what this word means in our Western world. And people even, I know if they're listening to this and they hear you use the word evangelism, immediately it's like, 
I don't, I don't know about that. You know, not because yeah. they're scared to do it, but because there's the, frankly, the connotations that come along with that, you know? No, go ahead. And so, um, the, the connotations yeah. that come with it are, are super negative. It's, it's, it's not as natural as what we think. And so, I know you personally. And so I know, you know, you have a different, <laughs> when evangelism comes out of your mouth, it's a lot different than whenever it comes out of a lot of other people's, you know, and I know that cause I know you. So, but really what I think evangelism is and what I think, um, really what we're looking for and what people are looking for evangelism is really in giving people a spiritual experience, a spiritual encounter. I mean, I agree. That, that's really what it is because it, I think that, Certainly, following the life and pattern of Jesus is is crucial, but I think people think of evangelism, they think, okay, well, if I'm going to really be the church, that means that I really should adopt being a pastor and an evangelist. Historically, that doesn't ring good bells in people's heads, but I think if you boil those down to, hey, be a really killer friend, show empathy, you know, have, um, you know, uh, outward focus, not being so damn selfish, you know? And in addition to that, an evangelist is, hey, I'm seeking further experience from the Holy Spirit in my life. And I know because people are people, they're looking for some spiritual experience too, because, you know, I forget which ancient philosopher it is, but it's, you know, it's, we are uh, spiritual beings having a human experience, not human (laughs) beings that have spiritual experience, you know? And so I think people naturally are hungry and, and not to cut you off. I know I asked you a question, but being here in Southern California, people are very spiritually open and yeah. people, I was just at a area pastor meeting for vineyard last night. And this, uh, this person was sharing about the person that they've met in the coffee shop and they befriended the manager there. And she didn't go into the shop for a while, and so she decided to swing back into the shop and get a cup of coffee and just catch up. And that 30-second conversation of just checking in turned into an hour-and-a-half conversation with this manager, or I'm sorry, owner, sitting at this table with this female pastor friend of mine, egalitarian plug there, female pastor friend of mine, and literally poured her heart out and wept and was like, Thank you. Nobody listens to the depths of my heart, basically. Boom. Yeah. And it's like she's connected. She's entrepreneurial. She's young. She's connected in the creative arts scene. But this one pastor woman she sits down with pours her heart out. And here's the catch. The pastor woman says, hey, why don't you, you know, come join us at church on Sunday? After an hour and a half of pouring your heart out, she says, no, thanks. I'm good. (laughs) You know? And oh yeah, it, the thing is, it's like she didn't demonize her or anything. That just goes to show that woman. And people will argue with me about this, but that lady, that business owner, she just went to church. Oh, hundred percent. She just sat at the table and went to church. Yeah. That's exactly right. And she went to yeah, yeah. She had an encounter with Jesus. She had an encounter. They prayed together. And basically what my female pastor friend did was just kind of show God's goodness in all of it, which is worship. It's worth-ship. Worship is just showing worth to God and who he is. So they uh, did the elements. They did everything. So my question yeah. is, is 
what does so and i guess this this rant started out of a rebuttal of you know i think i don't even know if people need to sit at a church for 20 hours a week or a pastor i think that shadowing that john wimber did a great job of that he would just grab a person or two and have them shadow what he did so i think oh no i i definitely agree with that um my what i was saying is just simply exactly that you know pastoring being to being being facilitated and intentional about caring for the souls of of the people you know and are around and evangelism yeah. is being facilitated and pa- intentional about um, taking care of the souls of people that you don't know uh, yeah. is just is just literally that's it is I the, that's the way I see it is that a pastor is someone who okay you've got fifteen Christians and you know they're going to work every single day and they go to church once a week and they get taught taught at for thirty minutes and you know hopefully God Almighty use something that we we uh, you know we typed up on Friday to be able to speak to them. Um, or maybe we can have you know a few people trained to like be with those people to just make the stops, make the rounds, and to be a part of their life and to be passionate. Say, hey, what's going on? You know, like maybe just play a video game with them, or you know, go make make something with them. You know, build something with them. Uh, make a coffee table. I don't know, but to be involved and to be personal with those people's lives is to be, I, I believe, is to be a pastor, and then to be an evangelist. I believe is somebody who everywhere you go that every person you meet you're aware that that person matters to God they ma- and they should matter to you if if you like they matter to God and they don't matter to you then you know go back to step 1 repeat um, but you know the idea that everyone you meet has immense worth exactly what you're saying worship is that they have immense worth they're immensely important to God no matter what they look like where they're at you know my 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 statement is, has become lately I said you can know whether or not God wants to uh, transform and and you know bring somebody close to him. Are, are they a human being? Like there you go. Your answers. There's your answer. They're a human being. You know yeah. you can you can look at someone if they're made in the image of God. Chances are he's he's probably rooting for them to be redeemed. Yeah. Uh, he's for them to be taken care of. And I think just evangelism. Oh God, I I'm okay. I honestly actually am okay um, if people make the rounds at churches and stir up people. Um, for past sake, I'm okay with that, but that's not the that's not the entirety of of, of evangelism. I I think so much of that is just a bunch of uh, let me see how I can say this in the right way. I think that's a bunch of like cheerleading because it's almost always like Christians that go to these big evangelism you know rallies. Yes. And, uh, I'm happy when they bring the people who aren't there, but I, I think we boast too much on these numbers of like, oh, 180 gave their life to Jesus, and like, well, they already did that 50 times since they were seven. Yeah. Like, it, like honestly, I go and Bill bragging about them last month, you know? Right. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I feel that evangelism is to go. I'm, I'm actually sometimes, um, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I know God's the one that opens the door with some people, I'm moderately disappointed that they know Jesus already because I'm like, oh man, you. Okay, you know Jesus, you're plugged in. All right, great. Well, you know, I tried to just keep follow through with the Lord's doing, but I want to meet those people that don't know God. I love questions like, I love talking to people about why is Jesus, um, you know, why do I worship Jesus? What on earth? Why would I do that? You know, and like, why do I think he's uh, the son of God? And, you know, these kind of questions, like, I love those questions that people bring up. And I love just meeting new people, hanging out, go going, and, you know, I've been uh, going up to visit a guy in the hospital, him, none of his friends, I don't think any of them, I'm sure they were Christians when they were little kids or whatever, but 
you know, they, they, none of them have any kind of relationship with God. But yet, I, I love spending time with them, and, and they're enjoying spending time with me. We're just playing some video games together and talking about music, and, you know, and then I'm able to pray with him because he's sick, and nobody's, you know, everybody's for that. Yeah. And so there, there's just a natural, natural evangelism uh, that goes on. And I believe, you know, my idea of putting people in there to be intentional and training people is because the church is obsessed with hiring people, and they, they, they are always obsessed with these jobs and stuff. But almost, you know, so much energy goes towards making a product instead of making people. Yeah, totally. And, and people, it, churches seem to pride themselves on their product, which is, you know, how many people came, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. based on how good their program is. And I think, you know, and we've used a lot of, you know, Christian terms in this episode, which is totally fine. But I, and to continue that, uh, uh, I think discipleship, if that's the true goal and to really boil that word down, that simply just means somebody who models their life after Jesus, you know, that Jesus uh, looks like God and God looks like Jesus. And so if we want to see our, you know, if we want to be God on the, in the world, then we walk and live like Jesus. I mean, and, and so I think that for church, to become more of a safe place, it is people just having empathy, friendship. Um, I think it's uh, knowing that I desire a spiritual experience and the people around me, whether I know them or not, desire spiritual experience. And really what it boils down to is, is spiritual ownership, I think. You know, it's because it, it, I think that's in just wrapping up some of this. And I know we were going to talk about some, you know, Arianism and Trinitarian things, and I, maybe uh, we can Athanasius find the, Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about uh, the next episode we're going to do. I think I'm going to call it Trinity Conspiracy, but <laughs> um, just wrapping up on some of this church stuff, I, we didn't plan to talk about this at all, so thank you for being flexible with it, but I think it's crucial because I think we overcomplicate things because we look at it um, like the business. And the problem is, is that people get excluded and people get intimidated by a lot of those things. Like I would even go as far to say, like, look, if the church is going to be something that's healthy and rounded, we're just trying to move people in steps of ownership. Like ownership of your, like you, Bringing people into maturity, because here's the thing, and I'll just make a statement. Church actually wants to keep, they wouldn't say this, but church needs to keep people in an infancy place to keep butts in the seats and money in the bank. We have to, because it, 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 people will push back on me on that. I can hear it now, but it's true. Listen, if people were truly mature, they wouldn't need an organization for it. They wouldn't. Because I don't think that was Jesus' model. And that's what I've been struggling with church planting, to be honest with you, is like, do I really want to spend the next X years of my life just kind of babysitting, you know, uh, young spiritual faith people? And that might sound derogatory, and maybe I'm feeling a really little reb- rebellious today, but it should be offensive. You know, it, it's, it Jesus should be. I had a, Lindsay and I fleshed this out. Uh, last week and I had this revelation I was talking about stuff with her as I normally do and it's like 
you know, looking at the the uh you know human life you know you have infancy you have childhood you have these adolescent teenage years you have young adulthood adulthood mature and all this stuff and i would submit and i know who am i just a young punk but whatever i think that the church the evangelical church in the world is stuck in the teenage years and we're cocky and we think we know everything and we we think we have all of the answers and what does the teenage brother do to the 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 child brother they try to um parent them you know they either a don't care about them they only want something from them or b they feel like they have to always be the know-it-all that if the younger brother knows anything than the older brother there's going to be tension that and i think that we have metaphorically speaking lots of teenage churches that like to just hoard knowledge and hoard influence and hoard authority over their younger brothers and they don't want people to grow up in the faith because guess what they're not going to need the teenage brother anymore and i feel like i'm coming to a place as you know we when we first started talking and hanging out i was really into the you know calvinism and reformed stuff and everything and i feel like and i'll make a broad stroke it, that is like the epitome of a 16-year-old person, Calvinism. It's like uh-huh. it, it, the cage stage part where like you, you feel like everybody else is wrong. Like you have this world figured out. You have life figured out. All the adults are dumb. They don't really know anything. And I am responsible. And I can – you know, it, it, all the stuff that we felt when we were empowered 16-year-olds. And yeah. few of us – and. You know, maybe I'm being arrogant. I don't know, but I feel like I've matured past that into adulthood to know, like, oh, there is great mystery here. Oh my gosh! Oh man! You know, like there's there is way more ways of looking at things than just these dogmas, and I think church seeks to hold people in those places because if they matured and grew past that, they're not going to need the propaganda of the 16-year-old that's trying to tell everybody he knows everything, but he doesn't really. Are you tracking with me on that? Uh, I'm tracking with you. <laughs> I think that uh, I, I'm slow to say that the church is trying to keep anybody down. I believe it's more of an ignorance. I think it's more of a exactly uh, in yes. their efforts to always – in their efforts, so there's a couple different models, and we're really talking about the seeker-sensitive megachurch. That's that's what we've been talking about. That's where I've uh, seen the most fallout. I'll interject. Yeah, I've seen the most fallout in that sort of of church. Um, you know. Yeah. So. And when you move into believer-oriented churches that are still in the pyramid, what happens there, by and large, and I'm I, I'm not saying all, but by and large, that's where control and abuse happens. Yeah. Uh, it, the believer-oriented uh, smaller churches where, you know, one person's at the top and don't question him. He's the pastor. And what do you think you're doing? You think you know more than me. You'll find out one day type stuff. Like, it happens. It's really there. And if we're going to be honest about it, it's bullcrap. And you've got babies from men. Uh, if if someone if there's a leader who's threatening uh, your your staff if there's a leader threatening, you know, just being like, well, you'll you know, you'll find out. You'll be sorry if you touch the Lord's anointed. Like. I can assure you the Apostle Paul uh, would not have spoken like that to people. He explained himself. He he showed things um, factually, but he never used, like, intimidation. Um, you know, the Lord has not yeah. given us a spirit of fear. That's translated timidity. 
uh, I'm rambling, but yeah. So we're talking about the seeker sensitive. Um, we're talking about the seeker sensitive megachurch, and I believe that in the seeker sensitive churches grand effort to reach the unreached they end up developing no one mm. and the people who do get developed are the people who find those organic relationships and those organic friendships yeah um, but unfortunately what happens is that they hit a level of maturity uh, and i'm not saying they arrive but i'm saying they come to a level where they're like man i'm just really not and the quote is always i'm not getting fed and i honestly that just makes me want to throw up because it's just oh, weird god uh, but, you know, the the line is always like, well, you know, I don't feel like this is – I feel like I'm beyond this now. I don't feel like this is on my level. And so then they kind of walk away with a chip on their shoulder and, you know, they kind of look back at the other people like they're a couple – you know, they're just a McDouble at McDonald's and, you know, there's the dollar drive through or whatever. But, <laughs> uh, you know, they're moving on to some gourmet food. But uh, the I think the reality of it is is that – We've focused too much on doing the Spirit's job. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be called the comforter. We try too hard to make people comfortable. Mm. Um, Jesus said that, you know, don't think about what you're going to say before you go before people, but, you know, I'll give you the words then. And I think we think too much. Not, I'm not against sermon prep. I'm not against message preparation. I, I'm for being in season. Uh, I'm for being, you know, in, in and out of season, being ready to give an answer. I'm for uh, studying to show myself approved. But I believe that those things need to be done out of passion and that our speaking and preaching and teaching should be done out of overflow. And that if we're going to put together a curriculum or a teaching series, then we definitely need to be uh, – it needs to be something that we have um, – that we have personally learned from the Lord. Now, it might be from somebody else's material, but it can't just be like, well, this is a good idea. I'll piggyback on this material and give it to church. Like, it is sincerity. It is yeah. genuineness that is, the, that is the fertilizer of the kingdom of God. And wherever we're trying to make products, man, it's just God can't bless it. We, yeah, we, we've definitely lost a lot of authenticity in the mix of it all. You know? Luke. Luke, mosques grow their attendance. Sikh temples do great outreaches. Uh, you know, Buddhists have great philosophy for how to get through life. I follow Jesus because he literally has redeemed my soul. He, I've experienced the supernatural beyond the answers of the New Age, beyond the answers of you know metaphysics and the law of attraction. I've, I've, I literally have met Jesus. I have a relationship with him, and it's been the greatest, most life-changing thing of all time. And if we are content to relegate Christ himself down into philosophies and outreaches and church attendance and, uh, you know, some supernatural occurrences, then who are we? What are we doing? And I think the entire problem has to do with Christ not being the head um, Mm. and him not being held as the head and pastors, they're not bad. I don't believe there's a lot of bad pastors. I just think that we put unrealistic expectation on them and we put them in a role that shouldn't biblically, it does not biblically exist. This single authoritarian vision caster, that's not in the Bible. Jesus is the vision caster. He has given you a vision, he has given me a vision, and countless other people visions. If you and I can't work together and to acknowledge the headship of Christ and say, okay, well, this is where our visions are kind of contradicting and conflicting, but I think that might be the Luke part and the Elisha part of this vision. How can we give this to Jesus? What? How does Jesus, how does his vision come through this? Because it's better for two people to work together. It's yeah. better than one. It's better.
better to have two legs than one. I mean, you see where I'm going with this. The reason why these multiple visionaries, I heard one guy, oh my God, his heart was just wrenched. And he said, I told my pastor that, you know, I had this vision for the church. And he said, well, see, here's the problem is that uh, God has already given this church a vision. And when you have two vision, that, that, that is division. And I was just like, that's just illiterate. That's <laughs> just stupid. It's God Almighty. God has given it. He gave to the church at least five visionaries. You know, the pastor, the the uh, evangelist, the teacher, the prophet, the apostle. And, you know, we're afraid to let anybody prophesy. We're, we don't want to look silly. But yet the only form of evangelism that Paul ever talks about within the church, I'm talking about in the gathering for those who don't know God, is the gift of prophecy. He said if you come in and somebody gets up and gives a message in tongues, they're going to say you're an idiot. But if somebody gets up and prophesies and tells the secrets of someone's heart, then they'll fall down on their face and say, but truth, God, it's with you. And that's like one of the few times that the Christian gathering place is used in a outreachy way or a, mm. you know, for unlearned. And it's the gift of prophecy. Uh, and and we're, we're afraid to look silly. We think miracles, and I'm ranting, but God help me, we think miracles are for the seasoned believer and that discipling is for the unbeliever. We're like, mm. well, we need to get the unbeliever converted and disciple them, and then they can handle miracles. But no. It's the opposite. <laughs> it, miracles are for the believer. That's what the Bible actually says. Jesus made believers out of unbelievers through the miracles and then discipled them. He right. even gave, like, non-Christians power of miracles, you know, just to go out and make more disciples. I mean, I mean, when you look at the apostles, they weren't even full-blown Christians yet. They hadn't believed on the death and the resurrection. It hadn't happened. So, I mean, and we – oh, God. I'll just interject, too. I'm not necessarily against the mega church at large. I think that people have just not been able to, and I just will also say that I don't think that like I'm smart and all these pastors are dumb. These are very strong, wise, good leaders. Yes. All I'm saying, and they're not trying to keep people in an infancy state. Exactly. And I, I don't think that, but the reality is they are. Um, and I don't think that they're quite aware of it or will admit that. And I think that as far as accepting visions go, I, I think that, you know, a vision for a church that might be a nonprofit organization that has a lot of people coming to it is fine and great. The problem is this, whenever I feel bad because, you know, my unique vision, I can't take ownership over that. Like for instance, we have all of these pastors wanting to start all of these big organization-style churches. I think that some people do have that God-given vision and gifts to do that. The problem is is when we feel like that's the standard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's so right. So I'm not against it. And like for the person that says, oh, they meet with the pastor. God's given me a vision for this church, whatever. I actually probably would agree with, you know, God has appointed me to start this church and with this vision. And I would always put the ball back in the other person's court of, if he's given you that vision, I want to be a resource to you, but don't make me adopt your vision. That's your vision. I've already had what my vision is and it's certainly molding and developing, Yeah. but I would always put that ball back in the court of the person that is sitting with the pastor, that hypothetical situation. Well, because I think people, all people can win. If you want to use that term with church, when we're just really genuine and authentic and truthful about what is happening in us uniquely and how that works together collectively, you know, I agree. 
However, I would elaborate on the scenario of the person who comes saying, you know, I've got a vision. God's given me an understanding and a vision uh, for what we could do in this church. I, you know, I want to I want to share it with you. The problem usually there is because the, the big problem happens when both people think they're supposed to be in authority. And there's a difference between vision and authority. I've had so many people come to me uh, since I got and started in. Uh, the youth with all kinds of visions and ideas, and we've seen a lot of them get put into, uh, you know, effect. We had a lock-in. Um, two guys came up with an idea for a big 12-hour lock-in. All they came up with all the the plan for everything, and it was fantastic. And we did it. So that was a vision um, that came about. But nobody at any point thought, well, you know, they should be in authority, or you know, they didn't think, well, I had this vision. I need to be in authority. And we get this thing uh, mixed up. When we start battling over who's an authority, um, yeah. I, I firmly believe that Christ is an authority and that we are, what does Paul say? Humble yourselves to one another, humble, what, humble yourselves, not the spirit, humble yourselves, your flesh and your own, you know, your, your own preferences to one another for the sake of the bond of unity and the spirit of peace so that, you know, Jesus might fill all in all, but... It's this, and I'm telling you, this is this is how we can move in the future. I I believe I'll be a part of it. I'll be I believe that you know I'll get to see this. I don't need to be uh, anything other than somebody who who hammered a nail on this idea mm-hmm. for the future. Uh, but I believe I get to have a part of it. Is that if we can understand Christ's headship and understand how to work together. Um, you know, in your marriage, not everything you all do, well, you and Lindsay, is your idea. But yeah. you're in authority. Not everything you do is Lindsay's idea. And yet you do a lot of her ideas, and yet she's not the final authority. She's not the last bastion. And this goes back to that thing you said about, uh, um, you know, your female pastor friend. is I don't think Paul ever insinuated a woman couldn't be a pastor, evangelist, teacher, apostle, or, uh, you know, pastor or, or prophet or whatever those you know titles are i don't think paul ever insinuated it i think he was just saying that the person who's the last bastion the last line of defense the bishop who makes sure things you know who makes sure christ is the head he i think that's what he was referring to when he said yeah. that he would prefer that women not be in authority uh and it's it, we're so confused on this idea of authority and leadership um but i don't believe i for instance uh, at the vineyard, I'm not here to support a man's vision. I'm here to support Christ's vision. And that man is awesome that currently is in uh, authority and leadership of the church. But if I, you know, if everybody around is just saying, hey, let's focus on this one person's vision, then what we're doing is we're saying, God, don't give me your vision. And if yeah. you do give me your vision, I'm not going to focus on it. So we're I, not, I, it limits the creativity of God. <laughs> it really does. And it, it puts a man in a position that he can't. He can't facilitate, and what we end up doing is we burn our pastors out. We wear them out, or they sell out. And I'm telling you, if we had, listen to this, what is the tallest p- pillar that supports the, the, the roof of a structure? Which one's the tallest pillar? Is this a trick question? It, it, well, it, no, it's not. It's just <laughs> a, the obvious is they're all the same height. 
all mm. the pillars have to be the same height to support the roof the way it needs to be supported. But what are they standing on? They're standing on the rock of foundation. Each one of them has a different role to support the sheltering aspect of the building, but they're all standing on the foundation. And the purpose of the building is to bring people in to be safe, to be taken care of. And that's what we have in the church. We have pillars supporting a sheltering structure that are all standing upon the rock of foundation, which is Christ, the revelation of Christ being the Son of God. They're standing on this foundation, but they're all equal, however they serve a different portion. And what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to say, well, this one pillar here, just balance the roof on that one pillar, and these other ten pillars will just stand around and look at it, and if it falls, we'll catch it. Like, it's stupid. Usually they won't even catch it. They'll be like, well, anyway. Yeah, it'll crush (laughs) it. It'll destroy. And what do you do? You lose all your people. Uh, and, and, And so am I saying... Am I saying yes? I'm saying that we we put too much on one person, uh, and that we don't put enough on Christ, and we act like, oh my gosh, I have a friend. I prayed for a mentor for a year and a half ago, and I met this guy the next day. I said, Lord, I need somebody to be my spiritual and physical mentor. I said, I need somebody to teach me the ways of the world and the ways of your kingdom. Uh, I said, I need somebody who I can just listen to and be able to um, respect and learn from. And I met this guy the next day. He's 82 years old. He has traveled the world as a diamond salesman, and the guy also has facilitated and empowered 6,500 people in house churches where everyone's bills are paid. Everyone um, you know, has house churches going in these neighborhoods uh, all the time, and it's just ridiculous how much people are taken care of. People are growing as disciples and leaders, and it's so gentle, and he says all the time. And I was on this kick about Christ being the head and us not owning things and being facilitators and empowerers and being the guardrails. I was on that for such a long time, and then he comes around and he's like, listen, I don't own any of this. He said, this isn't my church network. He says, the second I say that, he says, then they start making it about me. God will take his hands off of it. Mm. And this guy, I I mean, if I told you the things he's done uh, in the places he's been, the people he knew, you brought up Zig Ziglar. He was there with Zig Ziglar and helped Zig Ziglar film his first ever motivational speech, like back in the 60s. Whoa, that's super cool. Yeah, he was mentored by Ross Perot. He's traveled the world, and if I went on with other stuff, it would just be embarrassing to to him. The point is, is that I've been listening to him, and what he says is, his big line is, he says, individually we know some, but together we know more. And he said that he made his fortunes as a leader and as a facilitator by acknowledging he really didn't know everything and that he didn't ha- necessarily have the full vision. And he would go to everybody in his departments, people um, that just worked in the mailroom and be like, what would you change about this company? And then they'd tell him and then he would go and apply it and then he'd give them raises. And he's gone his whole life asking people, how would you change things? What would you do? Mm. And he said that that he says that is um, you know, like the secret to his success is that he says that's what the Jews in business that he's been with. He said the Jews, just a quick side note, he said that all these guys, all these bankers, they own the churches. They can shut them down. These churches are millions of dollars in debt. And the, the banks can just shut them down anytime they want to. And it makes him sick because he knows that, you know, that's not the way God wants to be running his stuff. That's not the way mm. God wants his people to be taken care of. And he's always, like, encouraging me to ask people. He's like, he says, well, what? he asks me. He's like, well, what do you think I need to grow in? Like, he's 83 freaking years old, and he's traveled the world. Yeah. He's not being facetious. And so I think there's something to be said for that kind of leadership where you are always thinking this. We know in part. 
yeah. we prophesy in part, and that there is more. And that's I. That's the whole thing I wanted to talk to you about. Is this First Corinthians thirteen? I've been reading this. I think it's uh, like verse eight or nine. It's where Paul says, "We know in part, but one day knowledge will pass away when the fullness comes, and we'll know fully, even as we've been known." And I was like, "Man, Lord, oh my gosh, what does that look like? This idea of knowing in part." And I got this picture, and it was um, the American flag. And it, think of this: the American flag is red, white, and blue, right? There's no error in that. But yet it's partial because the American flag also has stars, and there's no error in that. But it's still partial because it has stripes. And honestly, this goes on forever and ever. You'd think, well, no, hold on. It has stars, stripes, it has this many stars and this many stripes, and it's a rectangle, and it keeps going. Well, wait a minute. When was it, when was it first sown? Who sowed it? When was the first time it was flown? Mm. Do they fly at half-mast or full-mast, or when does it hang? What way do you sew it onto your jacket? What way do the soldiers wear it? Like, it just keeps going and going, for we know in part. And that, when a leader starts acting like they know in full, is when we've entered into error. Dude. It's not an error to have partial knowledge, but it's an error to act like the partial knowledge we have is complete. Yes. Em- yes. Embracing the the mystery as well as how many people are involved with this it's 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 a multi million person thing so i just want to wrap up with that um elisha and just thank you for your thoughts and thank you for all of your stuff with the church and um thank you for taking part of my position back in indiana and uh (laughs) just want to uh you know, uh, have you back on again and talk about some more theological stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah, man. So, uh, maybe, uh, we can talk some about your clothing company as well at a further time, but, um, yeah, that'd be dope, man. I'm, I'm getting some stuff launched out of the gate here. Been, been kicking the gears up again after I got, uh, after I kind of got good flow going with being a high school youth, whatever. Sweet, man. Very man, cool. I really, I, I'm re, I really enjoy talking to you, man. It's uh, really fun to be uh, just having a good conversation, and I'm glad we got to record it, and hopefully somebody you know, enjoys it. Yeah, man, for sure. Thank you for being on the podcast, my friend.